Well, I want to minister for a few minutes this morning to a message that I'm calling Daddy's Love. When the Holy Spirit laid the word Daddy and Love next to each other in my heart this past week, oh man, I felt like a toddler wearing his daddy's boots. I mean, the subject is so vast. When I thought about this message, Daddy's Love, it was more boot than boy and it was more love than I could comprehend, but I am convinced from cover to cover, when we look at the Bible, the entire Bible is about Daddy's love for us. The purpose of this message is to remind us that we can trust our Daddy's love for us. Once we get a word from Daddy, then nothing else matters. I want you to get that in your heart this morning. Once you get a word from Daddy, the world will come to try to talk you out of it. The flesh will try to talk you out of it. The devil might try to talk you out of it. But once you get a word from Daddy, let it be established. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about just a rhema word that he drops in your heart, but I'm talking about the word that ministers to you as you read your Bibles and whatnot. If we can believe that Daddy so loved us then, because the Bible says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If we can believe that God so loved the world, why can't we believe that God so loves the world now? It's not just a past tense thing. God so loves me. God so loves you. While I was meditating on this message, I saw myself in this vision in a canoe in the middle of the ocean, facing an approaching tidal wave. In the midst of that perceived adversary, in the midst of that imminent threat, in the midst of that intimidation, I stood up in that canoe and I stared that tidal wave in its face and I said to it, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I took authority over fear by reminding myself that the greater one lives in me. Not the tidal wave, he lives in me. Not just in heaven, he lives in me. Instantly, my heart grew calm, even though the ocean did not. Now that's very, very important. Because there are going to be times in life when we face circumstances, situations, whatever it may be, where the enemy is slow to get out of our way. He just doesn't want to seem to move. He didn't get it when we said, hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more. No more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack, don't you come back no more. He just, it's like he just didn't hear that. I have discovered through Daddy's unconditional love for me that my peace is not determined by perfect circumstances. My peace is determined by perfect love. Because we get into circumstances where we're facing situations and we let those circumstances dictate whether or not we have peace. My circumstances do not determine whether or not I have perfect peace. His perfect love determines my perfect peace. My perfect peace manifested through none other than my perfect Jesus. In 1 John 4, 18, we see this truth. He begins this scripture by saying, there's no fear in love, but he says, but perfect love Perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So when he says, but perfect love, he's not talking about our love for him. Oh, no. He's talking about his love for us. He's saying there's no fear when that kind of love is flowing. 
What kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about daddy's love. Daddy's love is perfect love. Daddy's love casts out fear. And then he says, he that feareth is not made perfect. Or another way to say it, we're not receiving daddy's love in that particular area of our life. Because if fear is reigning, then we are not receiving daddy's perfect love in that particular area of our life. Because they cannot cohabitate. Fresh water and bitter water do not flow from the same stream. They do not cohabitate. So it's okay. There's no condemnation, but we have to turn to that perfect love and say, Daddy, help me to get the revelation of more of your love for me. That's what takes away the fear. The perfect love I speak of flowed from the one that was willing to say, I will shed my perfect blood so that I can show them my daddy's love. Here's what the Lord said to me. Perfect love produces perfect peace. The opposite of peace is not war. We think so often, oh, the opposite of peace has got to be war, right? You've got conflict, right? The opposite of peace is fear. You see, war is just the stuff that's on the surface. You have combat. You have war on the surface. But it's something that's down inside the enemies against each other that's driving the war, and it's always fear. Fear you're going to take my land. Fear you're going to take my money. Fear you're going to take my rights away. Whatever it may be, the list can go on. But it's always fear. We just read the verse where it told us that perfect love casts out all fear. And it does that so that we can walk in perfect peace. And that's one thing I just so love about the message of grace and God's unconditional love is I've seen over the last several years how it's changed me in that particular area where that fear is not reigning in every single department. Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 and 4, we find these words. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. When he says, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, he's literally saying, thou wilt keep him in perfect rest, which is the essence of why Jesus came, so that he could give us perfect rest. When I first gave my heart to Jesus in the mid-1990s, I started surfing the radio channels to find someone to listen to. I just had this ferocious appetite for the Word of God. I just had to keep taking in the Word of God. And I came across a ministry of all ministries called Love Worth Finding, Pastor Adrian Rogers. There were several things I really loved about Adrian. He'd take complicated scriptures and just make them so plain. And because I was brand new in Jesus, I needed that, buddy. I really needed that. Adrian would take stories to interject them into his messages so that you could get the point. Nobody could ever leave and not miss it. But the thing I love most about Adrian Rogers, I loved his love for Jesus. He was moved to tears many times on the platform talking about his Savior and his Jesus and the blood of Jesus and his passion for Jesus. And that got me more excited than anything else. When Pastor Adrian was 73 years of age, after 32 years at Bellevue Baptist Church, 27,000 member church, he said it's time to retire. And in September of that year, he announced it to his church, I'm going to be retiring in the spring of next year. Hopefully the board will be able to find a pastor and bring a pastor in here. He said, because uh, that will be my last service. And the board was faithful. They brought a pastor in. And when Adrian brought that pastor up on stage... He put the mantle of God on him, the mantle of love worth finding upon this incoming pastor, and he went over and got a basin of water, and he brought it over and washed that incoming pastor's feet. You know why he did that? Because he saw Jesus do that in John chapter 12 or 13, somewhere in that area. He saw Jesus do that. 
That was in about May of 2005. In the fall of that year, around November, Pastor Adrian wasn't feeling well, and he went to the doctor. And the doctors ran a bunch of tests. And in addition to having pneumonia, he says, you have cancer. He didn't last very long in the hospital. I think it was a week or so. That was about it. Among the last words, the last words that Pastor Adrian uttered before being hooked up to the ventilator, which obviously would inhibit anybody's speech, right? Were these words. I am at perfect peace. I want to ask you the question. What will it be like on your road to your last breath? Will you be in perfect peace? Friends, perfect peace comes from the only love worth finding, and his name is Jesus, and it comes through Daddy's love. Adrian's favorite Bible passage was Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, and they're two of my favorites too. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I look at the list of things there in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, when I look at that list that my daddy says cannot separate me from his love, I come face to face with the twin truths that daddy's love is unconditional and daddy's love is all inclusive. He said, devils can't separate you from my love. Angels can't separate you from my love. You can go the highest mountain, you won't be separated. You can go make your bed in hell, you won't be separated from me. He said, there is nothing that can separate you from my love. Oh, we need to put our arms around this truth that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Oh, that excites me that nothing can separate me from the love of God. So when I look at a Bible passage and it seems to say something else, there seems to be this little condition, I just have to default back to this and go, wait a minute. My daddy's already told me that nothing can separate me from his love. Listen, nothing can separate us from the love of the Father. Adrian spent his last days in the hospital on artificial ventilation. And those final days were marked by an unusual sense of spiritual strength and serenity. He maintained his positive attitude and sense of humor right to the very end. The pastor whose feet Adrian washed said, even during this time in which he was unable to communicate verbally, we all felt his deep love for us when we walked into the room. Moments before undergoing intubation, Pastor Adrian wrote a note containing these words. He wrote a note that said, I love you. And underneath those three words, I love you, he wrote the names of his four children, and then the names of their spouses, and then his nine grandchildren, and then his one and only great-granddaughter who was born the day before he died. And then he wrote a second note, a separate note, to his wife, Joyce, I love my wife. She later said, in all our life together, there was never a day that went by that Adrian did not tell me that he loved me. So now the question, what is it that muddies the waters of daddy's love so that we cannot see the reflection of his goodness and his loving kindness in our daddy? Is it the tidal wave of guilt? Is it the tidal wave of shame? Is it that tidal wave of fear? Is it the tidal wave of condemnation? Is it a wrong picture of our daddy? 
Is it because love was not modeled by our earthly fathers? Is it because most of us have been taught that daddy's love is conditional? Watch out, you do it wrong, he's going to get you. Is it because some have been used, abused, and always refused? Is it because the emphasis of winning daddy's love came through rules and not relationship? And unfortunately, the answer is yes to every single one of those questions. In the movie Forrest Gump, Forrest has a lifelong friend by the name of Jenny. This woman had endured a childhood of abuse and neglect at the hands of her daddy. Forrest and Jenny are on a walk together, and they happen to come upon that childhood house that Jenny grew up in. And Jenny ran ahead of Forrest. She picked up rocks, and she began to throw one stone after another at that old, weather-beaten, abandoned house until she was absolutely exhausted and she fell on the ground and Forrest came over to her and he identified with her. He got down on her level. He came down to the ground and he said to her, sometimes I guess there just aren't enough rocks. Friends, let me tell you something. In the absence of a true revelation of our daddy's love, many people are destined to repeat the cycles of abuse and neglect and abandonment and rock throwing. The rocks they throw are not always at other people. Sometimes they throw rocks at themselves. Many people will carry the loneliness and the nightmares of abandonment into their own marriage and family. Many will repeat the very things they hated and despised at one time. Some people never find their way out of this old abandoned weather-beaten house along with all those painful memories that hang on the walls. No amount of rock throwing can reverse the damage from the pain that was experienced at the hands of the ones who were supposed to love us and teach us about the things of God. Jesus can take away the pain. The Bible says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He can take away our pain. He can take away our sorrows. He can take away our grief. Only Jesus can do that. You'll spend a fortune on therapists when Jesus can do it in an instant. Amen. Jesus came with good news to the poor. His sinless life and his gracious words painted a different picture of his daddy's love and daddy's willingness to forgive us and to heal us and to reverse the curse of brokenness on our lives so that we could drop our rocks of judgment and hear him say, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Friends, the gift of no condemnation is the gift of daddy's love. In Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, we find these words. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Watch what he says now. To comfort all who mourn. Oh, that's why Jesus came, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. When your house has burnt to the ground, Jesus can walk by it. And I'm not talking about your physical house. I'm talking about you. When you feel like you have burnt to the ground, Jesus walks by it. He says, I can raise up beauty out of those ashes. I can give you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. You don't have to go through life like that. I can turn beauty out of this thing. 
Oh, beauty for ashes. And then he says the oil of joy instead of mourning. Oh, we're not talking about tomorrow morning. We're talking about being sad morning. He said, I can give you the oil of joy. I don't want you walking around mourning and grieving. He said, I want to give you the oil of joy. One of the things I know my daddy's done in my heart is he has given me the oil of joy. Oh, man, the Bible says he's given it to you above even your own fellows. I want to tell you something, not because he just loves me more than he loves loves you. That's true, but no, I'm just messing with you. And no, uh, that's not true. But he's given me this simply because when we get the deeper revelation of his love and his grace, then it opens up the door for those fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. It opens up the door for those gifts to begin to flow in you and out of you and through you and around you. And oh, thank you, Daddy. Oh, the oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise. That's one I really love. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Oh, he's on us a garment of praise. That means no matter where you are, no matter where you go, you can praise the Lord everywhere you go. He's given us a garment of praise. Oh. Instead of throwing rocks, we must throw ourselves on God and take refuge in the arms of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our eternal rock. The love that Jesus offers is the purest Oh, I heard you talking about, Steve. The love that Jesus offers is the purest of all loves. You know what kind of love it is? It's Daddy's love. Let me talk to you about Daddy's love for a second through a personal testimony in my own life. It's like we lived in this abandoned house, this old weather-beaten house. My Daddy was an alcoholic. He ran off at a very young age and left my mama with five kids. Oh, we saw him here and there over the years, and we never hated Daddy for that. That was just a grace all by itself. We never really hated him for that we missed him. We longed for our daddy to affirm us and put his arms around us, but it just didn't happen. And then my mom divorced my father in the early 70s, and she married another man after that. And you know what? He brought the same thing into the relationship. Abuse, neglect, abandonment, drinking. And it was a hard life, I want to tell you, as we grew up as kids under that. I want to say this in his defense. When he was not drinking, he was the most generous man I've ever met. But when he was drinking, he was a junkyard dog. He was a mean guy. And after about 10, 12 years of that marriage, my mother had to walk away from that marriage, and it literally broke her heart. I mean, she loved that man so much. He was my stepdaddy. Well, we didn't see him, obviously, for years. One day at home, the phone rang, and I picked it up, and it was that former stepdaddy of mine. He said, do you know who this is? I said, I really don't. I had no idea. And he told me who he was, and I, I felt a little awkward because he's no longer technically related to me and we, we don't have a relationship and in the course of that conversation we agreed to meet so we got together my wife and the two boys and we met him at a Dairy Queen along with his new wife it was kind of a little awkward it was just in front of Father's Day and when Father's Day was approaching I was walking around in Walmart and I heard the Holy Spirit say to me I want you to buy him a Father's Day card you could have heard a pin drop in my heart I said, what? You want me to buy him a Father's Day card? Yeah, I want you to buy him a Father's Day card. All right, all right. I wrestled with the Holy Spirit for a while. I went over to the section. I found the Father's Day cards. They were everywhere. But I was looking for that section that said stepfather. And I looked and looked, and there it was. It had about three or four cards, but there it was. 
And I looked at all those cards and I thought, that one's perfect. And I started to walk away from that and the Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to get him the real card. Oh, you're asking an awful lot, Holy Spirit. I want you to go back and I want you to get him a card that says, Happy Father's Day on it. I know the voice of the Lord, so I did. I went and put that card back. I didn't just grab anyone. I picked out a nice one that I would have given to a daddy that I grew up with and loved with all my heart. I found the nicest card, and I got that card. I said, okay, there you go, Holy Spirit. Seriously, this is a dialogue that's going on. And I started to walk up there to pay for that card, and the Holy Spirit said, I said, what? I know his voice. He said, what about a gift for him? I'm like, a gift? I'm having this conversation with the Holy Spirit in Walmart. I said, what would I get him? Well, you know he liked to wear those t-shirts that didn't have sleeves on them, but you got to make sure you get one with a pocket. He doesn't like them, but they don't have pockets. I said, they wouldn't have something like that in here, Holy Spirit. It took me two seconds to find it. So I go pay for the stuff, and I go out to my car. I'm thinking it's pretty much over with now. The fight's been over with now. And the Holy Spirit said in the Walmart parking lot, now, okay, now go ahead and write the card out to him. What am I going to say? And he gave me the words. He said, let's start by just saying, dear dad. I never called him dad when we were at home. Let's start by calling him dad. So I wrote there, dear dad. And on that card, I wrote things like, I know we've had some ups and downs throughout life, but I believe you tried your best. And then I wrote these words, all is forgiven. And then the Holy Spirit said, I want you to sign that. Love your son, Mark. I did it. I drove to his house. I sat down with him at the table, and I was just hoping that I could just give him the card and the gift, but he wouldn't open it then, that he would open it after I left because I didn't want to feel more awkward than I already felt. But no. No, he had to open it right there. I'm like, oh, just look at the present. Don't read the card right now. Nope, had to read the card. I watched the man sitting across the table. That was my stepdad at one time. Look at that card. Open it up. Read it. Closed that card. And he looked at his wife in the living room, and he went like this. He motioned for her to come forward. She came forward, stood behind him, and he handed the card back to her. She opened that card and read it, and then the tears began to come. She closed the card, and she looked at me, and she said, you do not know how many years he has been waiting to hear those words. All is forgiven. Love your son, Mark. You don't even know. It was only about a week or two after that, he called us up and said, can we get together again? We met at the same place we ate ice cream at the first time. Guess what he was wearing when he came? Oh, he had that shirt on I had given him, almost to say, look what my boy gave me. He did that intentionally. Look what my boy gave me! We saw him once or twice after that because the following year, cancer would take his life. And when he died, I didn't know he was sick, but when he died, his wife called me and said, Mark, he's gone. Gone? Gone where? My uncle Ed and I were the only two from our side of the family that showed up at his funeral. I watched person after person walk by his still body and weep and were brokenhearted. And I looked at my uncle and I said to my uncle, I said, Uncle Ed, I said, my family had to pay an amazing price so that this family could enjoy the real man. And I heard the Holy Spirit tell me on the way home, he said, you know what? Jesus paid an amazing price 
so that the Father could love you. When we stepped in the other room to have his service that day, I don't remember what the minister said other than one thing. He said, last week I got a call. And he said, when I answered the phone in my office, he didn't even tell me who he was. He just said, hey, pastor, I just called to tell you my name's in the book. And he said, what? My name's in the book. He said, who is this? Oh, it doesn't matter. My name is in the book. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me afterwards, he said, when I had you take that card and that gift to him, and I had you write those words in that card, he said, this was not about showing him the love of a stepson. This was about showing him daddy's love. This was about daddy's love. The Holy Spirit said to me and said this, it's because of what you did there. It's because of those words that he had the confidence to believe that if earthly people could forgive him, then just perhaps, just perhaps, God can forgive me. And so it was. I want to tell you something. When God puts you on assignment to do something, I don't care how crazy it seems, how little it seems, how big it seems, you do what God tells you to do. And then you leave the results up to him. I could have never known that was going to happen. I just followed the voice of the Holy Spirit when he kept prompting me to do things. Psalm chapter 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power, oh, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. Now the question becomes, why? Why would our daddy be our rock? Why would our daddy be our fortress? Why would he be our savior? Why would he be our protection? Why would he be our shield? Why would he be the power that saves us? Why would he be our place of safety? Friends, it's so simple. It's because he loves us. What other motivation would he have? It's because he loves us with all of his heart. You and I cannot allow the enemy to speak into our lives. The enemy's mission is to commandeer our hope speak lies about daddy's love, intimidate us, and attempt to rob us of the blessings and the promises of God. See, when you get established in grace and established in love, you'll recognize not only the voice of your daddy, but you'll recognize the voice of the enemy too. It's very distinct. It doesn't sound anything like daddy's. If you let him speak that garbage into your life, I want to tell you something. He'll try to take over in certain areas where you begin doubting your daddy's love for you. If a man waits for the perfect circumstances to be the barometer that sets his perfect peace and perfect love, then his life is going to look like a heart monitor. You're going to be up, you're going to be down. You ever see a heart monitor? Up, up, down. If you're waiting for perfect circumstances to be your barometer for perfect peace and perfect love, it's not going to work. It's going to be all over the chart. That's what David was getting at in Psalm 23 verse 5 when he said this. He said, Thou, Lord, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. How could David say such a thing? How could he say that you prepared a table for me and you didn't make my enemy leave? They're still here. I can still see them. He said, You prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. David could say this because he was aware that the perfect love of God was a stronger presence than his enemy. I don't swallow a lot of things hook, line, and sinker, but I will that one. He knew that his father's presence was a stronger presence than the presence of the enemy, and he just swallowed it all up. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7, the Bible says this, 
when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. This is a wonderful promise, but do you see the conditionality behind it? Okay, it says, when a man's ways please the Lord, then I'm going to make your enemies be at peace with you. So when my ways please the Lord, I can expect peace in the, in the presence of my enemies. This truth is written under the old covenant. We are new covenant people, okay? But that doesn't mean that the promises under the old covenant are negated. But it does mean the conditionality of how I apprehend the promises my daddy has changed. Let me explain what I just said here. If God made us a promise in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, and he had a condition attached to that, I'm going to bless you if you're good, I'm going to curse you if you're bad, that is the condition, okay? If I have a condition that I'm going to be blessed, but I've got to be good to be blessed, okay, you see my condition there? I want the blessing, so God's still going to bless me under the New Covenant, but my condition has changed. Here's what the Lord dropped in my heart yesterday. We live an hour and 20 minutes that way. I mean, just due west, hour and 20 minutes. We drive on a certain amount of roads to get here. Let's call Kenosha the promised land for just a second, okay? Here's the promised land. So we live due west of here, hour and 20 minutes, and we take certain roads. Now, let's move to Racine. I used to come east to come to my promised land, but now I come south. I used to drive an hour and 20 minutes, but now I just drive 20 minutes. I used to take certain roads. Now I take totally different roads to get to the same promise. Like the promise has not changed, but how I get to the promise has changed. How I get to my promised land has changed. And I want to show you how that has changed for you as well. Our daddy's love for us, as we know, as we've preached many times, is not based upon our performance. Daddy's love comes through the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus. Please make note that what is Jesus's becomes ours through inheritance. If Jesus owns it, we own it through inheritance. If it belongs to Jesus, it belongs to me. I need to quit thinking like a pauper and start thinking like Jesus thinks. What belongs to him belongs to me. The anointing on Jesus is the same anointing on me. The love that can work through Jesus can be the love that works through me. The peace that's on Jesus can be my peace. Didn't he say, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto thee. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He said, listen, the same peace I've got, I give to you. I mean, we see this in the Word. Now watch this. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, we know this scripture that Jesus has just been baptized by John in the Jordan River. And then the heaven opens up. God's voice begins to speak, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Did the Father say that about His Son? He said two really wonderful truths there. He said, This is my beloved Son, or this is the Son I love. This is my loving Son right here. And He said, I'm well pleased with Him. See, we don't have a problem believing that God loves Jesus. The problem is, we have a problem believing that God loves us at all times. We know Jesus is always faithful. We know Jesus never disappoints his Father. But we think, man, there's times, Daddy, where I think maybe I disappoint you. Well, we clearly see through this scripture, God is saying, this is my beloved Son, and I am well pleased. And that is in the tense of the continual, I'm well pleasing. It's not that I was well pleased at one time. It's continual. I'm always pleased with my Son. How does that apply to us? Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. And he has saved us, that's Jesus, from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So clearly what we see here, we see that beloved son word again, those words again. 
We know that daddy's pleased with his son, Jesus, and now he's just told us in this scripture that we've been brought into the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom is just not some city out there. The kingdom is inside Jesus, right? So we've been translated right into Jesus. All right, next scripture. Tie it all together. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. The word accepted in the Greek is the word harestao. It means to make one graceful. When we think about grace, it comes from the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis, charis. It is the noun, it is grace, it's who Jesus is, okay? When it talks about his grace making us accepted, the first one is the noun, that is Jesus himself, the person, but he's saying there's an action that I did that made you graceful and put that same grace that's in me on you. But there had to be an action. We know what that action was. It was certainly the cross. Parastao is the verb that refers to the action. Now, I want you to please note that it was not our performance that made us accepted and beloved. It was to the praise of the glory of His grace. It wasn't what you did. It was His grace that made you accepted in the beloved. This word, harestao, It's a unique word because it's only found twice in the entire New Testament. The only other time this word comes up, harestao, in the Bible is found when the angel Gabriel was commissioned by God to go and visit a virgin who lived in Nazareth by the name of Mary. That is the only other time you'll find this word, harestao. Let's look at the message Gabriel gave to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And the angel came in unto Mary and said, Hail! Thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Harastao. She understood the word that it meant there was an action that made me this way. You didn't just discover this in me. There was something that was dead that made me this way. You say, well, man, she hadn't had Jesus yet. Her sins weren't forgiven. Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world was laid, okay? Going up two verses to Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 32. He says, you have found grace with God. You have found grace with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. Now, I began verse 30 with Gabriel's words, you have found grace with God. I intentionally left out three words that Gabriel used, and they were those words right there, fear not Mary, for you have found grace with God. It's interesting that the angel has to address fear when he shows up like this, but he's telling her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found grace with God. In other words, he's saying you've been accepted in the beloved. You see, when daddy was preparing the soil of Mary's womb so that he could plant that perfect love named Jesus inside of her, Mary didn't have 1 John 4, 18 to go reference. She didn't know it was perfect love that casts out fear. She didn't understand that yet. That New Testament had been written yet. Perfect love casts out fear. But we have that revelation. We understand that. We know that His perfect love casts out all fear. But when Mary heard the very last words that Gabriel spoke, when he said these words, he said, for nothing is impossible with God. He said that to Mary. He said, nothing is impossible with God, Mary. And it was at that point that Mary consented and her confession became, be it unto me according to thy word. 
So what's powerful about this is we see that we are accepted in the beloved, but we see that the beloved was accepted in Mary, and we see that the only time God said you've been accepted in the beloved, it has to do with his very own son being born. All Mary needed was a word that she could believe. She couldn't believe that she could have a baby outside of marriage, but she could believe that nothing was impossible with God. That she could grab a hold of. I don't think we have a hard time believing that daddy loves us. Our confusion is that daddy's love for us is conditional. That's where we mess up. We think daddy's love for us is conditional. We keep allowing feelings and emotions and logic and reason and mixture messages talk us back into a reward love system of some sort. Oh, we need to rely upon a word from the Lord. In preparation for this message, the Holy Spirit took me back to when I was in fourth grade. I can see the house I lived in. There was a blind man that would come walking by once in a while. It was the weirdest thing. Had his glasses on, big long cane out in front of him. Couldn't see anything. But the guy could walk just about as fast as you and I. It was the weirdest thing. I used to marvel. I'm in fourth grade. I'm like, how can this dude do this? I found out later where he lived. From where we lived there, he lived about eight, ten blocks away. So it's not like he was coming out, feeling his way to the street just to get his mail. The guy literally would walk all over town, totally blind. To go home, he would cross one of the busiest streets, Liberty Avenue. He would have to cross that street. When he would come to the street corner, I would watch him listen to the left, and then listen to the right, and then he would start across that street. All he had to tell him what was coming or not coming was his ears. All he was listening to was sound. See, I think the thing that trips us up sometimes is we're trying to rely on emotions and how we feel about this and reasoning and logic and eyesight and all these things, not realizing that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We factor in all these other emotions before we make decisions. No, what we need is we just need a word. We need a sound from the Holy Spirit to say, it's okay. It's all right. All we need is one word from God. One word from God will change everything. Mary got a word from God, and that was that word. Nothing is impossible with God. That blind man relied totally upon what he heard. He didn't have eyes to see. It wouldn't have been prudent for him just to go, you know, I just feel like this would be a good time to cross the road. No, he relied upon listening very carefully. Grace will set you up to believe the word of the Lord. My daddy's love was at work in my heart when I received one word to love that woman. We happened to work in the same factory, and across the way one day I heard the Holy Spirit echo in the chambers of my heart say, you could love her. Instantly I loved that woman, never dated her a day in my life, and instantly I fell in love with a woman because I had a word from daddy. When she came to the same job, the Lord had given her one word, and that word was, you'll meet your husband here. And as crazy as that sounded, and as impossible as that looked, sure enough, well, I was there. Yeah. All I needed was one word from God when he said, I want you to put a ring on her finger. Tell her tonight. Tell her tonight. I want you to put a ring on her finger. All I needed was one word. 
You know, all we needed was one word when we planted Triumph of Grace Ministries. It was three years ago this week. It was the first week in April of 2014. All we needed was one word from Daddy. You know what that word was? That word was cast your net to the right side of the boat. Oh, Kenosha is way to the right side of our boat. But it's all we needed. We couldn't reason this thing out. Logic would have said, no, we live in South Beloit, Illinois, over by Rockford. You stay there. Plant a church there. No, we needed one word from Daddy. And we got that one word. Kind of like the blind man. All you needed was just to be able to hear. Don't let all these other things. Your body will talk you out of the blessings of God. It will talk to you. It will tell you about all the pains and all the frustrations and all the ailments. Don't let them do that. You stand on Daddy's word. Daddy's word says you're accepted in the beloved. I have graced you in my son. And my son is whole. My son is healthy. My son is well. My son is loving. My son is kind. You know what? Let me tell you something. All we needed was one word to go to Karis Bible College. In 2011, when the Lord spoke to us, I'll tell you what the word was. Don't miss your destiny. That was the word. And for four years, we went to Karis Bible College. Yes, we are Karis Bible College graduates. Absolutely. I didn't need a whole bunch of words. At first, it was two nights a week. And it was after midnight when we were getting home, getting up at five o'clock in the morning. It was brutal for a long time. But I had a word from daddy. Are you getting this? Do you see the theme? We get a word from daddy and daddy has told us, he says, nothing can separate you from my love. That's one word from daddy. Oh man, our lives have been filled with one word encounters from daddy. We have to stop allowing the tidal wave of fear to talk us out of the word that we get from a loving daddy. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 19 The Apostle Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, I want to tell you something, one of his glorious riches is his voice. When he speaks into your heart, that's a glorious richness for me. When I hear my daddy talk to me, that's a glorious riches of my daddy speaking to me. His glorious riches. He may strengthen you, watch this now, with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Watch what he says now. He says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. What kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about daddy's love. He said that you would be rooted and established in love. May have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. Watch this now. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know the love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I make no apologies about getting excited about my daddy's love. You chain me up and put me in front of a firing squad and I guarantee I'll be singing amazing grace. How sweet the sound, amazing love now flowing down from hands and feet that were nailed to the tree as his grace flows down and covers me. I'll sing that song in Jesus' name. I'm in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm in verses 14 through 19. But I love this particular chapter because in the 13 verses that precede these verses, make no mistake, the Apostle Paul has laid a foundation of grace so that the endless measures of daddy's love will be palatable when he gets to them. He said, I'm working towards telling you how much daddy loves you, but you're not going to believe it unless I tell you about his grace first. And all through Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and 3, he's building this grace snowball and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger 
Spirit. And so you can see it's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He's saying, listen, I did it all. And so he's building this case so that he can unleash this awesome love of daddy. Back to the vision now. Me and that canoe in the middle of that vast ocean. In the face of that high wave. In the face of that deep ocean. In the face of those distant shores. In the face of that long journey paddling home. I found strength and I found power in knowing my daddy's love surpasses them all. And that he has filled me to the measure of all the fullness of God. He held nothing back. I have been rooted and I have been established in daddy's love. Daddy's love is manifested through his son, Jesus Christ. We can't allow logic we can't allow reasoning, we can't allow emotions, and sometimes wrong teaching to keep untying our shoestrings. These things undermine the word that God has already told us. You don't need a textbook crammed full of information. We just simply need one word of wisdom from a loving Father who will never misguide you, never give you bad information, never give you wrong directions. One word from Daddy. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side after he had dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Do you see that? You see fear even in the presence of Jesus there. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm telling you, fear will paralyze you. Don't be afraid, Jesus said. If perfect love was working in your lives, you would have perfect peace. Remember, the opposite of peace is not war. The opposite of peace is fear. Peter gets bold. He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now watch this. I've been talking about one word from Daddy, one word from Jesus, and Jesus gives him one word, and that word is come. Peter just got through saying, Lord, if that's really you, I need a word. <laughs> Oh, man, I'll give you one, Peter. Come. Love said, come. Love is still saying, come. Love said, come, Peter. Jesus didn't waste any time trying to put on a show of spirituality. I think some of the preachers today would have been like, oh, come on, let's get a little committee going here now. This is going to be tough, but you've got faith. I know you can do it. You can do it. Jesus just said, come. Come on, son, you can do it. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But wind. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Oh, if everybody in the world would say that, Lord, save me. They don't realize they're sinking. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So let me ask the question again a little bit different way. What is it that gets in the way of Daddy's love becoming a reality 
in our lives and literally the sum total of everything we live for and breathe for? The answer is a mixture between fear and shame and guilt and condemnation and emotions and logic and reasoning. Peter was doing fine based upon that single word, come, from Jesus. And in the course of his stroll, he began to reason with the wind and the waves and his emotions hijacked the very word that love had just got through speaking to him, which was the word, come. In preparation for this message, I had to ask myself two questions. Is there anything I can do to make God love me more? Is there anything I can do to make God love me less? The answer to these questions are emphatically no. His love for us is not based upon our performance, what we've done. His love is complete through Jesus. Jesus finished the work. Friends, because of my own childhood abuse, if it were not for the revelation of grace, I probably would not be able to use daddy and love in the same sentence. I'm just being honest with you. I wouldn't be able to do it unless God got that out of me by showing me what really a true daddy looks like, a loving father. I too craved my daddy's love as a child, but I never really knew the love and the warmth of a daddy as a kid. Grace and love. You discover one, you'll discover the other. The more you discover one, the more you'll discover the other. They're inseparable. My closing thought. In the early 1800s, clergyman Edward Irving went to visit a dying boy. When he entered the boy's room, he simply put his hand on the head of that little boy and said, My boy, God loves you. And he turned around and he walked out of that house. That little boy began to ponder those words from the preacher. And in the quietness of his heart, Nothing else mattered at that moment. From his bed, that little boy cried out at the top of his lungs to the people, his family in the house, God loves me! God loves me! God loves me! Oh, he loves me! God loves me! Five words from a minister of the gospel. My boy, God loves you. Those words absolutely changed that little boy's heart that day. The sense that God loved him had overpowered him, melted him down, and it had begun the making of a brand new heart in that little boy. So it is with daddy. So it is with God. Love, the Bible says, begets love. A love that is patient. A love that is kind. A love that does not envy. A love that does not boast. A love that is not proud. A love that does not dishonor others. A love that is not self-seeking. A love that is not easily angered. A love that keeps no record of wrongs. I love that one. A love that does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. A love that always protects, always trusts, always perseveres. A love that never fails. What kind of love am I talking about? It's daddy's love. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you, Father, for daddy's love. I want to thank you. It's the richest, deepest love there is. It's the purest love there is. It's the perfect love, Daddy. I want to thank you that the love is dwelling in our hearts. And the more we embrace the message of grace, the more we see that that love is for me. That love is not conditional. That love is not based upon my circumstances. I want to thank you, Daddy, that perfect love sets the tone for perfect peace inside of me where there is no war, where there is no conflict, where I'm free to love my neighbor, where I'm free to love my enemy, where I'm free to love, Daddy. And it's only 
because you first loved me with a daddy's love. In Jesus' name, amen.